Here we go. Look at this exciting topic. It's going to be good, right? Okay. <clears throat> so I'm going to try and be a little bit quicker than I was in the first service. There's so much to say because it, we're not actually really talking about coronavirus. We're talking about the things that are being made available because of what's going on with coronavirus and the issues that are coming up in people's hearts because of what's going on with coronavirus. So, Father, we are open-hearted to you. God, I want to say um, words that basically please you and like are from you. And we want to hear what you're saying to us, God. Grief, we don't need any more knowledge. We, we, we long for wisdom. And uh, we, we declare that our souls are anchored in you. Absolutely anchored in you. And for anyone that doesn't feel like their soul is anchored in you, God, we want to give people that chance this morning to be able to say, yes, I, I, I want to know him. I want to become steadfast. So thank you, Lord. Brilliant. Um, <clears throat> this is not meant to be, this is like a Q&A, but the Qs have already come in, so I'm going to try and give you some As, and they're probably not going to, it's not going to be complete, this, um, but I'm going to do my very best to answer a few questions. So here's the first one. Why has God let coronavirus happen? Firstly, something we need to absolutely establish that for me to be able to in any way begin to answer this question, we need to make absolutely clear is there is no coronavirus in heaven and this has not come from heaven or from God. We need to make that absolutely abundantly clear. It is not some punishment of God or anything like that, or as people sometimes call these things, acts of God. In the book of Acts, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament, and then you have Acts. Um, it says this, Jesus of Nazareth was anointed by God, means supernaturally like empowered by God with the Holy Spirit. He did wonderful things for others and divinely healed all who were under the tyranny of of the devil. So Jesus came to release people from being under the power of the devil, came to release people, came to bring freedom. In his lifetime on earth, Jesus healed many, many people. In Luke 4, 40, ah, I said in the first service, and I'll say it in this one, get a notepad out. You're going to want, I'm going to find loads of scriptures, at you, loads of Bible references, and you're going to want to look them up later. And then when you're feeling anxious, if when you're feeling anxious is coming, week or whatever, get some of these out. Okay, so uh, I'll just give you a moment to switch from Facebook onto notes or something. Uh, so it says this in Luke 4.40. Okay, Luke 4.40 is a reference. At sunset, the people brought all those who were sick to Jesus to be healed. Jesus lays his hands on them one by one, and they were all healed of different ailments and sicknesses. So to suggest that God is giving a sickness and then Jesus was sent to try and mop up those sicknesses, uh, well, Jesus himself said, if a kingdom divided itself against itself cannot stand. So establishing for now that this isn't from God, has God let this happen? Well, yes, clearly. God is in charge of this universe, but not in control necessarily. Anyone who's a parent knows that feeling. Um, so why has it happened? So back in the Garden of Eden, back right at the beginning of the, of the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, 3 is really where this is documented. 
is a story that really is about love. We think it's about a tree and fruit and all those kind of things, but really the story is one of love. And when God created man, and my word, we were created, when we were created, we had to have the option to love. And if we're going to love, it always has to be an option. Love can never be the only option because then that wouldn't be love. Because love is about choice. Okay, to give you some idea, for those of you who are married, you don't want your other half to be married to you because you were the only man, woman left and they felt they had no choice. Obson's choice, isn't it? Yeah, all right, I'll marry you. Like, that's not love. That's not love. Love is when you've got the pick of 10,000 and you say, you, that's love. That's amazing. And that's what, of course, God does with us. But the point is, there was a decision made in the Garden of Eden. There was a decision made for mankind that said, there's God's way or there's another way. And there has to be more than one way, because if not, God's way is the only way, and then it can't be a way of love, right? So, and they chose, Adam and Eve, on behalf of us all, they chose to go with, we'll do it our way, thank you. And we still live in the consequences of Adam and Eve choosing to do it their way. And mankind still chooses to do it its own way. So, what we can't do is choose effectively to live our own way as mankind. And then, when something goes wrong, we call it an act of God in the first place. And then, we either complain at God that he hasn't come and mopped it up, the God that we ignore and don't even believe in the rest of the time. We can't then complain that God doesn't come and mop it up. So this is, this is the thing, right? And this, is, this will be quite um, a shock to some of you. People would say, well, hang on, why can't God come and just fix it? Like, there are plenty of people suffering. Why can't God just come and do something about those people I know I don't normally acknowledge him. I know I'm not even convinced he's there, but I mean, it, it would really help me to believe he were there if he actually did something. I've heard this many times. And the thing is this, what God has done, and I'm going to use this term very carefully and perhaps unadvisedly, but God has somewhat tethered himself to us and says, I am still desperate to do all those things in the earth. I am desperate to step in and end all poverty. I am desperate to step in and stop 25,000 people per day in this world dying of starvation just because they haven't got enough food. And God says, what I've done is I have empowered my church to do this. I've given them my spirit. I've given them my authority. I've given them the mandate and I've given them everything they need to be able to bring my kingdom, my rule, my reign, my way of doing things on earth. It's up to the church. That's how I step in. I step in through people's free will who say, I want to, I want to bring God's kingdom. Because if, if not, if we're expecting God just to step in, if he is going to step in outside of our cooperation, that would violate our free will. You definitely want to get that written down if you didn't. If God steps in outside of our cooperation, he'd be violating our free will. God never 
violates our free will. We always have to have choice. If we haven't got choice, we can't love. So it's a slightly complicated answer. But in essence, it's time for the church. This, the church's hour is always been now, and it remains the church's hour is now. Ashford needs the church now more than it needs a vaccine. We will trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. So, I'm going to move on, because I spent far too long on that one in the first service. How do I trust what I'm being told? These are like random questions. They're not even particularly linked. How do I trust what I'm being told? I think the answer is, you can't. You can't trust what you're being told entirely. So there is so much information out there. Um, if I were to look on uh, a news app uh, now, then um, disarray hits US airports over virus screenings, why we touch our faces, coronavirus, what it does to our body, elderly to be shielded, supermarkets ask, supermarkets ask shoppers to stop panic buying, um, Australia orders, orders all arrivals to self-isolate, coronavirus information, what should I do? And so it goes on. There is no shortage of information out there. There's stacks of it. But can you trust it? Can I trust what I'm being told? I think the answer is, is complicated. Um, I studied A-level history. I never actually took A-level history, but I studied it for a while. And the only thing I remember learning was that everyone is biased. That's the, that's the only thing. I'm sorry to my teacher um, all those years ago. But that is the only thing now after all these years that I remember. Everyone's biased. Everyone's got their own viewpoint of something. I used to do this with kids at school. I'd ask them to watch a little film clip, and then I'd ask them to do a little synopsis or write-up of that film clip. If it's boys I had only, or, or indeed some girls, but generally if it was boys, I'd be like, I'd put some footy on and just five minutes of it, and they had to write up about it. You can imagine what happens. It proves my point perfectly every time, because you read these write-ups and you think, did you even watch the same thing? I mean, I know you did, but wow, so different. And of course, everyone is biased. Everyone sees things from their own perspective. So of course that happens in the media. I think there are just some sheer practicals, like try to rely a little bit more on medics and scientists than journalists. Because uh, medics, really, they, um, they have the Hippocratic Oath, which is first do no harm. The journalists is first sell newspapers. I mean, that's their job, right? Screen space and newspapers, that's what they're there to sell. That's, you don't put an underwhelming headline on because then people don't click through and not as much money comes, that person loses their job. So are the papers being sensationalist? Absolutely. Of course they are. It's their job to sell newspapers and screen space. Um, so try and go a little bit more with medics and scientists. <clears throat> and that is, um, that is, if you like... Let's call that knowledge, the stuff we're getting. I think, I think it's probably fair to say the BBC probably does trump the Daily Star uh, when it comes to like credible sources of information. I'm so sorry if any of you feel like, well, I've only just paid my next annual subscription for the Star, but um, uh, it's probably not going to be the most reliable source. Um, I'm so sorry to tell you that. Government organisations are going to give credible advice, Public Health England, NHS, again, within the limitations of medicine, which is phenomenal, and we love what they do, and they're amazing, and we partner with all people with medical 
excuse me, medical organizations and medical knowledge. We love it. God invented medicine. It's awesome, as in the principle of medicine. And, and um, we have some wonderful people in this country, many, many wonderful NHS staff, and we're proud of them. What I will say is we are being told far more than we need to know. Like way more. Of course, because the papers are trying to sell papers. So, for example, something that didn't make it into the paper, did you know that at the height of the um, start of the outbreak in Wuhan, the Wuhan province, 15,000 people a week were being diagnosed with coronavirus? Did you know last week it was just 15? Item number one in the news. Oh, no. No. Shame, but it's not mentioned. However... We can pick up all this knowledge, and my advice to you actually is put your phone down. Turn the telly off. Don't, don't saturate. Let's not saturate ourselves with more and more information about what's, what's going on. We probably, honestly, probably have enough information. I, I don't think we're short on information. What we actually need is how to apply that knowledge that we have and information. That's called wisdom. And in the book of James, right near the end of the New Testament, right at the back of the Bible, just before the maps, um, you, depending on what Bible you've got, in James chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, and if anyone longs to be wise, ask God for wisdom and he'll give it. He won't see your lack of wisdom as an opportunity to scold you over your failures, but he will overwhelm your failures with his generous grace. So we need wisdom. So there was a, I got a, a message from someone who uh, regularly attends and would very much consider themselves part of um, Ashford Vineyard. And the message basically said, this is my paraphrase, but I love your faith. I completely agree. Great job. It's excellent. And I'm in my 80s. I've got an underlying heart condition. Wisdom says to me, I'm just going to step out for a while. But please know I'm cheering you on. Right? That's cool. I'm not going to say, well, you've got a lack of faith. You should be here or whatever. No, no, no. Full of faith. Sometimes faith, when you know you have those underlying conditions, God might say to you, that's okay. You pray. You just duck out for a while. Become monk-like and start praying for people or whatever. Not necessarily monk-like. You know? you know what I mean. Um, so here's the next one. I'm feeling a bit fearful. Is God disappointed in me? I feel like I should just be full of faith all the time and sometimes I feel a bit fearful. I have some fear. Is he disappointed? No, he is not. He delights in you. He always delights in you. He delighted in you yesterday. He delights in you today and will delight in you tomorrow. And, not but, and he invites us into more. Basically, it's okay to feel fear at times. But the point is, don't stay in that place of fear. God invites us to come through the fear and then to encounter him more fully. So he is absolutely not disappointed in you in any way. Which leads us nicely onto this. What should I do when I'm feeling anxious? There probably isn't a person here who hasn't at some point in the last week to month regarding coronavirus felt some nerves at some point. You can call it concern, anxiety, nervous, stress, fearful, call it what word you like, but you felt that thing about it. I have. I think pretty much everyone has. What do you do? What do we do to overcome that feeling? This is my number one piece of advice. Put your phone down. Put it down like that. 
someone's just, that's it, Chris said, put your phone down. And that might mean coming off Facebook for a while. But put it down. Okay, we don't need this constant bombardment of fear that is being, that's being leveled at us. It is like we have this, this battery of shells that are just being, we're just being bombarded with fear that is exploding over us all the time. So, you put your phone down. I'm coming on to more practicals a bit later. The enemy wants you to be terrified. So just a few, some cheesy acronyms and things, fear, false evidence appearing real. The enemy wants you to be terrified because people who are terrified make terrible decisions. And you can't love well when you're frightened. That's why it says in the Bible about perfect love casts out fear. So it's, a, it's an opportunity to press into God, to look up. And you also need to get around people who aren't feeling fearful. So if you know you've got some friends who are feeling really anxious about it, I mean it nicely, a little bit limit your time with them. Or when you're with them, don't talk about it. Because if not, we just rehearse this stuff. And we start to worry about it. And after all, worry is merely meditating and churning over and chewing on the lies of the devil, right? You're doomed. You're all going to die. The world's never going to be the same again. Blah, 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 blah. And so it goes on. Nick tells the story often of our girl, my two um, girls. When they're anxious about something or worried about something, is everything going to be okay? Nick says, look at dad. Is dad worried? No. Right, in that case, you don't need to be worried. That's what dad's supposed to do, right? Do you know the times when I am worried? I go off by myself and I deal with it with God. There's nothing wrong with it. But in front of my family, particularly in front of my girls, I do not want to be showing them that they have a reason to be anxious. Because I'm basically saying God isn't enough. I know that's really blunt and I'm really sorry if that offends anyone. That's what I'll say that for me. I'm saying to my girls, God isn't enough. I'm also saying I'm a work in progress, so I'm just going to go out into my office and spend some time on my knees finishing the work that is in progress to at least get to the point where I can come in and be full of faith for five minutes um, and whatever else. Fear is far more infectious than coronavirus. If you can't sort your fear out, then I would encourage you to self-isolate. And when you've sorted your fear out, unself-isolate and go and actually spread some faith and some life and speak life out into situations. Next one. If I'm a Christian, then am I protected from getting the disease? Wow. Okay. So, yes and no. But yes, with a bit of no thrown in. This is not a straightforward answer. If Jesus were here now, would he get coronavirus? Absolutely not. Jesus never caught any sickness, disease. He touched lepers and lepers got infected. I don't see any leper infecting Jesus. I don't see... Um, is that someone else's phone? They're like, that's it! Started a revolution of throne foeing. No? 
drone throwing, phone throwing even. Um, so Psalm 91, write this one down, Psalm 91. Um, to look for Psalms, you basically like get your Bible and open it in the middle. Uh, Psalm 91 talks about um, God commanding his angels concerning us to guard us in all our ways. He will lift us up. They will lift us up in their hands so they, we don't even strike our foot against a rock. He'll save us from the deadly pestilence and the fowler's snare and blah, blah, blah. And so it goes on. Brilliant. Luke 10, so coming into the New Testament, Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Um, Jesus says, we will trample on snakes and scorpions and we will overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm us. Like, this, is, oh, this is great news. Woo! Um, also, though, <clears throat> the kingdom is now, but not yet. In case you hadn't noticed, on earth as it is in heaven hasn't fully happened yet. We're kind of in the transition phase from when Jesus inaugurated that bit of time and we haven't finished that bit of time yet there's a there's a way more now than there is not yet available to us but nevertheless it hasn't fully happened so it gets a little bit confusing because the thing is the only time Jesus had any sickness was when he deliberately took it on himself and took it to the cross and in Isaiah 53 write that one down Isaiah 53 it says the punishment the consequences that brought us wholeness were upon Jesus and then you go further to the end of the Bible, to 1 Peter 2.24, I think it is. And it says, by Jesus' stripes, you were healed. It's being done on the cross. So in Isaiah 53, it looks forward and says, prophesies that when Jesus dies, by his stripes, we are healed. And then when Peter writes, 1 Peter 2.24, if you want to get that down, he writes looking back and saying, you were healed. So we're in a little bit of a muddle. We are protected and yet we are in the world and the world is a messy place. So look at it a little bit like this with an absolute caveat that says, do not feel guilt. There is no guilt or shame. But it's like this. Could I play Chopin's minute waltz, Frederick Chopin, um, an excellent composer, uh, born in 1810 in Poland, etc., but uh, died 1849 in Paris. He was an incredible composer, and he wrote lots of incredible piano music. And there's the minute waltz, which is supposed to take only a minute to play, and it's really fast, and it's really hard. Could I play it? No. Could I play it? Yes. Can I play it now? No. I'm, basically, I haven't practiced enough. I haven't practiced enough to be able to play it. Could I play it? Yeah. Could any of you play it? Yeah. Could you play it now? I'm guessing, I'm looking around the room, I don't know. I'm guessing probably no. And if you've been playing only Frere Jacques on the piano for the last 23 years and suddenly a faith situation demands that we play Chopin's Minute Waltz, we're all, we're all done for, right? I mean, that's it. it, it's over. So am I saying that I could live the rest of my life disease-free? Yes, because Jesus did. And if Jesus did, then in theory, I can. Nothing is impossible for him who believes, right? Will I live the rest of my days disease-free? Probably not. Probably not. Because I am saved, made whole, and I am being made whole. Both are true. So I'm... We're, we're working on it. We're all a work in progress, right? So there's no guilt. If you get coronavirus, well, Chris says, it's because my faith isn't developed enough. That's not what I said. I'm saying we're all working at this thing. 
we are saved and we are being saved. So, this is the point. Remember, God does not want you to have any sickness. And through Jesus, we have power over every sickness. And tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. And I think the bottom line is, can you be protected from getting the disease? The bottom line is, how can I best protect myself from getting the disease? And that is you walk in the truth. We walk in the truth of who God says we are. And we, we pray, we declare, that's what we believe. We don't, we don't focus our attention. It doesn't mean you actually literally have to throw your phone away. But it means you don't focus. That isn't your primary source. You've got to watch what comes in your eyes and in your ears. If basically this is what you're listening to all the time, and then you say, oh, I just feel really fearful. Well, I'm not really surprised. You've just put nothing but fear in front of your eyes for hours. And you've read the same news articles. And you're checking your phone for the seventh time before nine in the morning. It's not going to have changed much. So far, 21, I think it is, people have died. It's probably going to be more today. 21 people have died. 170,000 people die in this country alone every year from heart disease, much of which is avoidable. 40,000 people die each year from, that is directly attributable to obesity. So far, we're on about 20 people. Do you know, it might get to 5,000. 25,000 people die in the world every day from starvation. That's also avoidable. Doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Doesn't mean those five, I don't know how many people are going to die. Doesn't mean those lives don't matter. Of course they matter. Of course they matter. This is just right now. This is just a slight, let's keep this in perspective thing. Am I going to be protected? I don't know. But lean into him. Lean into him. Um, we're not going to cover that one right now. Instead, we're going to go to this one. This feels so huge. What can I do to make a difference? Okay. So here's some things you can do. Um, first one, speak life. The power of life and death is in the tongue. So I would say, if you really feel brave, and um, some of you will have this automatically anyway, but you can go home to your other half and say, can you please watch what I say and correct me if I'm wrong? I know some of us live with that. Um, uh, Nick's not well today. She's not even here to defend herself. Bless her. She's not well. Um, uh, but watch what we say. Oh, no, my luck. I'm going to get it. Knowing your luck. I'm sorry. Are you living your life by luck? Since when do we live our, luck by, live our lives by luck? Look up the root of the word luck. It's Lucifer. Oh, so you're living your life knowing my Lucifer, knowing my devil. I'm probably going to get it. Don't say that stuff. If the power of life and death is in the tongue, choose life. I think Wham tried that one at some point as well. But anyway, I think Jesus got there first. Choose life. So power of life and death, don't speak it out over other people. Oh, oh, get rid of that sound. Ooh, people do. Oh, I know, it's bad, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. Is it? Well, yeah, I mean, like, most of the nation are going to die Buy them some Skittles or something. I, 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 I don't know. Um, so what about this? Reach out to the isolated. Who's seen this lady? 
Becky Wass, her name is, or Wass or something, W-A-S-S, and she lives in Cornwall. Not that we're envious. Let's just take a look at that picture just for a moment. Oh, I just want to be there. It's amazing. Um, anyway, she came up with this postcard, which I love. It's brilliant. Um, and it's gone, it's gone a bit viral. Who knew that kindness was a thing, right? Um, kindness, God uses kindness to draw people to himself. But basically, my name is, I live at, my phone number is, basically, if you're self-isolating, I can help. Would you like help with this, 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 and this? So what we did in the first service is we said, would any of us, this is a question, would any of us like any of these? Because we're going to get some printed, and then we'll have them available next week, and people could take them with them and, and put them through neighbors' doors. So... Um, this is only for numbers. There's no shame or anything. Can you put your hand up if you would like some postcards? Because then it just helps us to know. Okay, yeah, that will help us know roughly how many to print. Brilliant idea. Love it. Um, so we've done those. So, be generous rather than hoard. I'm about to be really super blunt, and some of you, you might need to draw your toes in. If you're hoarding... Everything about your hoarding is declaring out to your friends, your neighbors, and to the spiritual realm, I don't trust God to supply everything I need. I need to look after myself. That's what I need to do. I need to look after myself. But the Bible speaks not of that. Instead, it says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, in Philippians. And... It says, give us today our daily loo rolls. Does it not? Right? So we have enough. We have enough. How many loo rolls is enough? I can't answer that for you. But you know whether you've got that thing in you, that fear that is causing you to go and buy things that you probably don't need quite as many of them as that. That gets you to a neutral point, And then you start being generous. You start being generous. You go the other way. You say, no, I refuse to do that. I'm going to do that rather than I refuse to do that. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to go that way. I heard there was a guy in um, America that um, has bought up like all the soaps, all the sanitizers and whatever within this whole region really early on in this outbreak and like saw a business opportunity. Started selling them on e Amazon, I think it was. And, um, and then Amazon cut right down on these people profiteering through it and has now got a garage full of soaps and sanitizers that he can't sell. And this is the perfect time to choose generosity. And so well, in that case, I'm going to give them to people. Like, wow, it's like coming the opposite spirit. It's wonderful. Um, I don't know whether he will or not. <laughs> We'll see. Um, this one, encourage people, particularly leaders. So I'm, I'm really happy to say this. I think Boris Johnson's doing pretty well. He has never done this before. None of our leaders in this country have done this before. He is having to try and balance advice from a medical officer, advice from around the world, advice from chief um, scientific advisors. And actually... Do you know what? He's doing his best. I, what, do you like Boris? I didn't, I didn't say I liked him or disliked him. It's got nothing to do with liking someone. It's to do with saying, the Bible says that all authority has been appointed by God. 
So if we don't actually, if we respond in a different way to the government are asking us and we start saying, right, we're going to start closing everything, then actually I feel, we feel that we're dishonouring the authority that's been placed over us. So I think it would be amazing that we have some head teachers um, here, even here like right now. Um, there, are, there are two, and, and there are other leaders and people. We know um, the lady who is responsible for the entire response of one of the major banks in London. She hasn't been sleeping that well. She's been called into meetings at 10 p.m., all kinds of things. You'll have no idea, I doubt whether Boris has got many emails to say, do you know what, Boris? Keep it up, son. You're doing a great job. It must be really hard for you. You must be worried at night. You must be thinking, am I doing this right? Is this the best decision? Everyone else is shutting this, that, and the other, and is being told something else. And like, what do I do? Is this the right way? Don't you think he goes to bed wondering? I think he probably does. And so I wondered, Nick and I talked about this one, and we mused, what would it look like if everybody who calls Asher Vineyard their home deliberately goes out onto social media and bigs up a local leader or a national leader and actually puts a picture of Boris up and says, good for him. Do you know, I think he's doing well. Or something like that. Or Asher Borough Council or leader of the NHS or our nurses. I'm going really more leaders, but nevertheless, how about if we big them up? I, there was a, we are, I'm not, because I point blank refuse to be, but there is a Facebook group for the school that my daughters go to. And they have been encouraged, the school have handled it really well, and they've been encouraged when they first come in to wash their hands. That's what we're being told by the government. Keep their hands washed, wash them different times during the day. And there were a series of messages started by one person who went on an absolute rant that it was a disgrace that her child's hands were getting dry. And all these, I know, what's the school doing? Like that. Wow, there is a time. This is our time to come in a totally different voice. What do you mean, what's the school doing? What do you think they're trying to do? You person. Like, honestly, what do people, th it's just, it's so insular, it's so introspective, it's so, I'm just only ever going to look at me, think about me, think about my kids, and then I'm going to splurge my unadulterated, selfish drivel out on social media for everyone else to concur with me. There, I said it. <laughs> so, Put life-giving habits into your life. So I've said a little bit about this. We need, to, um, we need to be finishing. But like, get your nose into the Bible. Turn up at Encounter tomorrow night at 7 o'clock when we're going to be praying and worshipping. Get around some friends who seem like they've got some faith. Listen to some podcasts. Put some worship on. As I said in the first service, put some worship on even if you're going out. Because it will change the atmosphere in your home. Because the devil isn't going to want to sit there and listen to your worship music. So just naff him off and put it on and walk out the door. So you can sit and listen to that. Be gone by the time I'm back. Fear. I'm not having it. And actually get on the offensive over it. Um, this one. Follow the advice. It's like really obvious. But the government is giving us advice. And it's pretty clear advice. Like about hand washing and things like that. Just do what it says. 
That, there's, some, there's some good advice right there. There's some things we can do. Um, and this is the last one. Be a nap, a non-anxious presence. Have you noticed how fear seems to demand that other people are fearful? So what happens is someone is fearful in a situation, then two people are three, four, five, and this fear is starting to spread. And then what happens is other people aren't feeling particularly fearful, and then the people who are feeling fearful need justification for their fear. So they then start lashing out the people who aren't feeling fearful. Oh, you just, you're just being an idiot. You don't understand what's going on. I mean, look at you. I mean, you're just being all blasé over it. And blah, 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 blah. That's what people do, don't they? Not just over corona, they do it over everything. Fear loves company because it feels the need to justify and draw other people in. And the other thing about fear is this. Fear is like lust. It can never have enough. So what fear does at first is fear says, there's advice, you need to wash your hands. And then fear says, right, well, oh my goodness, uh, France have shut their schools. Oh gosh, oh my word, France have shut their schools. Oh my goodness, now Northern Ireland, I think is shutting their schools for 16 weeks. Oh my goodness, well in that case, uh, 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 lovely, that's exactly what fear wants you to do. Because you look around at what other people are doing and you say, oh my goodness, look at the loo rolls, they're three quarters gone and the shop's only been open 10 minutes. I'm going to have to buy some loo rolls. That's what happens, that's what fear does. Fear drives you, the Spirit of God leads you. So in this season, don't be driven, be led. I'll say that again. Don't be driven by fear. Be led by the love of God. So be a non-anxious presence. Like I said earlier, if you're feeling anxious, self-isolate. Until you're not feeling anxious. Or get to get, ring someone up in your small group or a friend or something and just say, I am really struggling with anxiety today. Do you mind just praying for me? Would you just pray for me? Would you just stand with me today? Because I'm just struggling with it today. And then keep out of the way. Don't go and spread your, your fear germs to other people. Uh, I speak to myself too. I have to, take, I have to self-isolate. Nick will tell you. Um, okay, we're going to stand and we're going to pray this. And if we pray it reasonably quickly, I'll finish 30 seconds quicker than the first service. And Chrissy will still talk to me. Um, so if, we, if you can stand, we'd love to just keep declaring this. I have spoken this out probably 50 times in the last week. We hoped actually to get some printouts today that people can take home, stick on their mirrors. We will try and do that. So let's declare this together. We stand against coronavirus, declaring that it was beaten at the cross of Jesus. We pray for the people of Ashford that they would be virus free. We pray that fear would be replaced by peace in people's hearts. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are still on your throne. And God, we will not feel guilt over any fear that we ever feel, but we will feel instead the invitation from you to leave that place of fear and just to draw close to you. And from that place, God, filled with your peace, we can be a non-anxious presence to those around us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.